0: I don't know how many of you do this, but New Year's is kind of that time where a lot of people uh, kind of reevaluate and make some resolutions and that kind of stuff. I know I started 2016 with the goal of losing 20 pounds and just 30 more to go and I'll be there, so <laughs> um, just I, seven more hours. I got to really work hard at that, I guess, so, um. but I don't know whether you make resolutions or not. Um, I just sort of thought this would be a good message to kind of just bring up that whole idea of, I don't know, do you want to call them resolutions, maybe suggestions uh, for things that will likely lead to just good spiritual progress in 2017. You know, you talk about these things at other times and they come across sounding legalistic, but you know, we're all reevaluating and all of that at this point, so hopefully it won't come across that way because they're really... My point here is not legalism, but just, just the productive results that come from good practices, good habits over time. I know I remember hearing Steve Martin on an on a, um, award show one time, and uh, Antonio Banderas had just done something, and Steve Martin came out and he said, man, I would do anything to have a body like that. Well, except eat right and exercise. you know. So. But let's talk about what those things are that will just lead to perhaps good results for all of us. And I hope you won't see me as lecturing you about these things that you ought to be doing as much as just an encouragement for all of us to put these habits into our lives so that we can reap the spiritual benefits from them. And again, it's not that God likes us more when we do these things and dislikes us more if we don't do these things, but rather just consistent good practices that will lead to good spiritual movement. Got it? You with me? Does that make sense? You with me tonight? Okay. Well, if you haven't done so already, you can pull out your message notes or you can open up the app. They're there as well. Um, and I just have a few points. One of them's a little longer than the others. But here's my first. My first encouragement for 2017 is this, that you would get serious about doing the expectations of New Life Ministry Partners. If you've been around here any length of time, you know that we regularly talk about doing a New Life class, and I don't know, our next one's coming up sometime in January. If you haven't been through the New Life class, it's, uh, boy, it's really worth your while to do that. But in that class, uh, when people do decide that they want to become ministry partners here with us at New Life, we do a few things. One is we make sure that they're clear that they've entered into a Relationship with Jesus as their Savior, that they're saved. We confirm uh, that they've gone public with their faith, that they've been baptized. We go over the statement of faith and make sure they're in agreement with that and talk through any questions that they might have about what we believe the Bible teaches and what we hold to. And we get their commitment uh, to line up under the authority of our leadership. And then we say to them, if you Do these five things. We believe that it will help you with your walk with Jesus to keep moving forward. And so I would encourage you, if you aren't, to consider these five things doing these five things that we encourage all of our New Life Ministry partners, and really, I think anybody who's seeking to walk with the Lord to do. So let's just go through those. The first one is that you would worship God regularly in our weekend celebrations. And again, The point of that is not legalism about having your rear end in a seat every Saturday night or Sunday morning. But just that that there's spiritual benefit with the regular practice of your life being that you will be with your church family each weekend worshiping and setting under the clear teaching of God's Word. And of course, you're going to miss sometimes. Of course, you're going to go out of town sometimes. But there's benefit when it's your consistent practice to be in worship, to be in celebrations. It's unusual when you aren't there. You know, Sometimes I'll run across people, not very often, but every now and then I'll say, you know, I get everything I need from church on TV. Maybe you've talked to those people too. And, and when I've had those occasions, I say to them, you know, you can't hear some really good preaching? For sure, better than the weekends I'm speaking, I know that, you know. And uh, you can see some really good churches, but you know, worship is an active thing. It's not a passive thing. There's no way to passive, I mean, there's no way to actively worship with a TV program. Um, There's no accountability. You lose that. I mean, there's a lot you lose with that. So there's just something about that regular practice of being with your church family each weekend. Or I call these people the win people. I know none of you are the win people because you're here in church on Christmas Eve, for crying out loud, but the win people are the people who come to church, you know, when they weren't out too late, or when they got up on time, or when there wasn't anything else going on, or when they feel like it, that kind of stuff, you know, so don't be a win person. Be a person that's a consistent practice of your life. The regular habit of your life is to be with your church family on weekends in celebrations worshiping god together and setting under the teaching of god's word uh you know sometimes we i i've talked with people who um you, you see them less and less and when you talk to them they say well you know we're just traveling a lot on the weekends well sometimes that can't be avoided but again you lose something when your habit becomes more often to travel than it is to worship god regularly with your church family you know, evaluate that. Um, sometimes, uh, especially in this age, you know, I see, I see parents and their children joining uh, sports activities, you know, clubs that play on weekends. And again, some of it can't be avoided, but again, I would really think that through. I remember when Joanna was playing club soccer, and they played a lot of their games on Sunday mornings, and we sat down, and we really talked about how are we going to do this, and what are we going to do, and There was many a Sunday, Joanna was sitting right there with her uh, soccer clothes on underneath her other clothes. And they, you know, her and Janet blitzed right out afterwards, or we did all sorts of things. All I'm saying is, again, don't hear legalism, but hear the value of taking this serious. To worship God regularly, consistently, faithfully on the weekends, to get serious about that. That's one of the expectations that we put out for New Life Ministry partners here's the second one is that you'll connect weekly with a new life small group and again let me just say to you if you're not in a small group i get it none of us need another meeting to go to okay so i'm clear with you on that one and i hope that you'll understand that we're not talking about just another meeting to go to it's just see we believe that central to spiritual growth is active participation in gospel community because, you see, we hardly ever grow best in isolation. You know, just a, hey, it's just God and me kind of thing. And some of you, that's how you see spirituality, is it's just God and me. But, you know, we hardly ever grow best in an isolation situation. And the reason is because we need people in our lives who know and love us. Mainly, the reason why we don't grow best in isolation is because we're really good at deceiving ourselves. Anybody identify with that? I mean, I am a master liar to myself. I mean, I pull the wall over my own eyes with such regularity that it's amazing. You know, I, I give myself way more credit than I deserve. See, I need people in my life who have my back and people in my life who know me, who love me, and who sometimes will encourage me. Who will sometimes pray for me, who will sometimes call my bluff, who will sometimes challenge me and call me out for my deluded thinking, who will put their arms around me and at other times kick me in the rear end. And the truth is just that a person who's accountable to no one but himself is a target for the devil. And I'll say this too, you know, sometimes people will say to me, well, you know, my husband or my wife, you know, that's my accountability right there. We have gospel community together. And, and again, I hope you, you have a great relationship with your husband or your wife. But, you know, there's just, there's just so many dynamics in marriage that's going on there that you need people beyond that. You really do. Sometimes I'll encounter people who, um, you know... They, they go to church in one place, and they do ministry in another place, and they're in a small group somewhere else. And I just want to warn you how dangerous that is. Because when that's the case, you're effectively, what you do, is you keep yourself from really being under anyone's authority except your own. Because what happens in those situations where you kind of spread yourselves out, see, is then when you get challenged in one of those places, what do you do? You say, nuts to you, <laughs> I'm out the door, see? And, and, and you miss out on something. So again, I just, want, I just want to say this, if you're not in true gospel community, you are very likely just one major temptation or one colossal life experience or one huge disappointment from seeing some things unravel in your life. And so I would encourage you, get serious about taking that commitment to be weekly with the small group. And and again, don't be one of those win small group people. You know, I come to small group or I go to small group, you know, when everything works out just right. No, make it the habit, the practice of your life that it's rare when you aren't there, that that's your consistency, that there's great value in that. Third thing that we do, that we challenge all of our our, um, new ministry partners and say to them to make these of these things to do, is just to serve gratefully in a ministry area. You know, we're all wired differently. Uh, we all have different spiritual gifts. All of us have spiritual gifts. First Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says this each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace. In its various forms. And one of the things that God wants us to do with these gifts is to serve the local body. Now, one of the things that we tend to do is we focus on just the, the, the visible gifts. But truthfully, if you read your New Testament, you see that most of the gifts that are in use are really not things that are seen most of the time. They're not the big hairy things. They're just average, everyday sort of things that aren't in the spotlight. And so, find out what your gifts are and use them to serve. If you don't know what your gifts are, let me tell you, one of the best ways to do it is just try things and see. You know, the second time you drop an infant, someone's going to say to you, you know, maybe you shouldn't be here in the nursery. Maybe this isn't your thing. Maybe there's something better for you. But along the way of trying things, you'll discover what you're good at. You'll discover what benefits others, what serves the kingdom, what brings glory to God, what helps ministry to progress. And so again, one of the things we challenge our ministry partners, I challenge all of us, is just to serve and do it gratefully. Fourth thing that we say to new ministry partners is, hey, here's, the th- uh, here's a- another thing you should do is to, cheer, is to give cheerfully to new life's mission and needs. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 says, Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, here's what, something I know, and that's this, that people get funny when you talk about money. I know that. But Jesus said that how we view and handle our money is a barometer of our devotion to him and his mission on earth. So it's significant. Matthew chapter 6, 21, Jesus says this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so we unapologetically ask our ministry partners to make the commitment to give. It takes kingdom cash to accomplish kingdom advancement. Do you realize that? You know, all of these Mission and ministry efforts that we talk about all the time takes money to happen. It's just a reality. We don't tell you what to give. I have no idea what anybody at New Life gives. But I do believe that each of us benefits spiritually when we tell our hearts that giving to God's kingdom advancement is going to be our regular, continuous, habitual practice. And we make it a habit of being a predetermined percentage giver. You know, it's not just I throw a 20 in the plate when I'm having a good week. It's not that, but I make that commitment. I make that habit. I tell my heart what I want it to do, not wait around for my heart to tell me what's convenient to do. And so again, if that's not your current habit, change that in 2017. And then here's the last thing that we just encourage all of our New Life ministry partners and on the front end and certainly on the continued end, is that we would lovingly reach out to those in our life who don't yet know Jesus to genuinely care about the eternal reality on the line of people all around us. You know, to pray for them, to speak the name of Jesus in a way that piques their interest, to invite them to come to church with us, or come to uh, some fun event that our small group is doing, and to ask God to use you to impact people's eternity. Because you see, friends, hell is hot, it's real, and it's really hot for a very long time, right? People need Jesus. I remember our little uh, daughter Joanna, when she was just three years old, which was, you know, 25 years ago, but she's just a little gal. And uh, she was in the car, and her brother Joel was just an infant at the time. And uh, uh, Janet was there, and, and her friend, and her friend's little daughter Christy, who was two at the time. And Christy's mom was kind of joking, and she said, oh, wouldn't it be wonderful if Christy would grow up and marry Joel? And Joanna was kind of overhearing this, and Joanna said, what well, does Christie love Jesus? And uh, I know why Joanna said that. because It's because we made a big point to our kids from infant on that when they got old enough that they were going to date and marry only people who passionately love Jesus. It wasn't enough that they went to church. It wasn't enough that they uh, claimed to be a Christian. It wasn't, that, none of that, it wasn't enough that they were a good person. We, they could only, you know, date or marry someone who passionately loved Jesus. So she said uh, to Christy, does Christy love Jesus? And Christy's mom said, well, you know, Christy's just two years old, and and, uh, we hope she'll love Jesus, and all the rest. And Joanna said, well, uh, if she doesn't love Jesus, she can't marry Joel, and she's going to go to hell. So, And so right then, we knew that Joanna got the point, you know. We needed to work with her a little bit on her presentation, but she got the point, right, and so forth. And so again to form that habit of lovingly reaching out to do these five things, to get serious about doing these five things, whether you are a ministry partner or not, whether you are considering becoming a ministry partner at New Life, or you've been a ministry partner at New Life for 30 years, to, um, to, to, to get serious about these things, that these are five things. It's not legalism, but these are five habits, five practices that will likely steer your the, the direction of your life in a positive direction spiritually. Here's the second thing. That first point had five aspects to it. This one just has one. Here's the second thing: is that you'll just get serious about reading your Bible. First Peter chapter two verse two said this: "Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow, that you may grow up in your salvation." It's my conviction that most Christians today do not really know their Bibles. And I just want to challenge you. I think the best way you can change that in your life is simply by reading it. And don't buy the lie that the devil's whispers in many of our ears, and that lie is this, oh, it's just too complicated. You can't understand it. You need somebody to explain it to you. Don't, don't, you, you. It doesn't do you any good to read it on your own. That's a lie straight from the pit of hell. give you a couple examples. Uh, I have a friend, Neil, who is a, uh, a church planter in California. And uh, Neil, one of his regular practices, and then this kind of transferred into his church, was he would spend time in the coffee houses uh, late at night and uh, he would spend a lot of his time just standing out front of the coffee houses because you couldn't smoke inside the coffee houses. Neil didn't smoke, but he found most of the people weren't in the coffee houses. They were out front, you know, taking a smoke. So he would hang out with them and so forth and get to know them. And over the course of time, he, he saw a lot of these people come to know Jesus. And then consequently, as they got saved, um, they saw other people come to know Jesus. And over time, they ended up planting a church and planting multiple churches as a result of this kind of thing. But then Neil realized one day, Here, here's the problem. I have all of these people who know Jesus now, but they don't know, any, I mean, they don't know Genesis from Matthew. You know, they, they, they don't know the Old Testament from the New Testament. What am I going to do? So Neil just devised this plan. He said, what if we just got them together in groups of two or three, and every week they would read 30 chapters of Scripture. And then they would get together every week, just for an hour or so, this group of two or three, and amongst a couple of things they would do, one of the things they would do is they would just talk, hey, what did you get out of that? What did you see in there, kind of thing. And what Neil saw happen is he saw people who did not know anything about the Bible move to people who really understood the Bible. And they didn't do it by having some master teacher who lectured them. Not that there isn't value in teaching, there is. But they did it by simply reading the Bible. I encourage you, just, just make that your practice of reading the Bible. tell you another story, a friend of mine, Ted. <coughs> Ted, guy I knew in Houston. Ted was an um, uh, uh, engineer at NASA. That would make him a, a rocket scientist, you know. Um, and Ted was an atheist. But the good thing about Ted was he was an honest atheist. Because uh, Ted, and this was before I knew him, but um, one of uh, the things that Ted routinely said to people was, um, oh, the Bible's just you know, full of a bunch of lies, and it's made up, and you can't trust it, and so forth. But he was honest enough to, say, to admit to himself, I say this all the time, but truthfully, I've never read a page of the Bible. So he, he thought, if I'm going to be an honest atheist, I need to at least read the Bible, so when I tell people it's just a bunch of bunk... I I can have authority behind that, and so uh, Ted thought. Well, I need to. How do you read the Bible? And so he t- started talking to people he knew who were Christians, and uh, you know he was talking to them, oh, you know how you, you know whatever, and they said, oh, you can read it through in a year. And he thought, I'm never going to take a year to read the Bible, you know, and I'm you know whatever. So he um, he went to a Barnes and Noble, and he um, he he looked through the bookshelves and he found the thinnest one he could find. And he he knew enough to find out he needed a readable one, you know, a readable version. So he got a new international version and uh, looked through it. He found a thin one, you know, not not some study notes and stuff, just whatever. And he kind of did the math. And in this particular version, he saw if I read 11 pages a day, I could read through this whole thing in three months, in 90 days. Okay. So he said, that's what I'm going to do. Because he said, I'll never take a year. Because a lot of people said, you know, read three, four chapters. No, never do that. So, he sat down. He, you know, he, it took him about 45 minutes a day. And, uh, you know, you can't get behind on that schedule. But he did it. He did it. He sat down and do it. And guess what happened to him about two-thirds of the way through? He accepted Christ. You know, he gave his life to Christ. Now, again, he's a smart guy. He worked for NASA. But still, just reading the Bible. He didn't have anybody teaching him. He didn't have anybody he just read the Bible, and in the process, he th- he just saw it all. It all connected. You know, God, the Holy Spirit showed up and revealed the truth to him, and he got saved. Um, after he did that, what happened is people saw the changes. You know, after he got saved, he got connected with the church and all of those kinds of things, and um, people started coming to him and saying, you know, Ted, what's going on? You know, and he told him, man, I just read the Bible and, and gave my life to Christ and and uh, he started telling him, and people started, you know, <clears throat> go to Barnes & Noble, buy, you know, the thinnest one you can find, 11 pages a day, you know, that kind of stuff. And uh, uh, saw lots of other people come to Christ. In fact, uh, this got on to the extent that uh, if you go into a Christian bookstore, you might see a 90-day Bible there. That's Ted's, you know, which it's really not Ted's, it's the Bible, but he basically is just divided up in chunks, and they did it, and there he did it. We did it in our church in Houston, uh, and I saw over the course of, again, it's, it's three, you know, you, you have to make a commitment to do that, boy, and you know, like I didn't read the newspaper, I didn't, you know, because it's a straight 45 minutes a day, and you just took that Bible with you everywhere. If you had, uh, if you were going to be in line somewhere for 10 minutes, you read 10 minutes worth to get in your 45 minutes a day, and you never get behind. If you get behind a week, you're just sunk, you know, that kind of stuff, but it was just exciting to see that, and I saw people in our church who were very very meager in their Christianity, really grow to understanding God's Word just because they read it. And my point is not that that's, you ought to do it exactly any of these things. My point is just simply this. Just form this habit of your life in 2017 to get serious about reading your Bible. Get a readable translation. Again, you know, a new international version, a new living translation, uh, some people like the English Standard version. I, I, it's a little wooden for me, but you may like it. I, I will tell you this: I, I have a lot of schooling, and I have trouble reading the King James version. Okay, now that may upset some of you. And if that's the version you want to read, just make sure you get something that you understand. Okay, you know that you don't have to spend half your time thinking, "What the heck is that even saying?" You know that you can just read it and understand. It. And you'll be amazed how much you can pick up from just reading your Bible. And you're going to need three things, okay? I'm, I'm getting very practical here for you. I, forgive me, those, some of you, that this is too elementary for, but some of you, this will help. You just need three, three things. You need a time, you need a, plan, a place, and you need a plan. You know your time. When, when am I going to do this? Am I going to read my Bible in the mornings, or am I going to read it in the evenings? Am I going to read it when I get off school, or am I going to read it at my lunch hour? Am I going to read it when I get home from work? Am I, you know, you just need a time. Again, not legalism, but if you don't have a, a time in mind, you'll be amazed how often that time comes and goes, and you don't do it. You know, that at the end of every day, it didn't happen. So you need a time, you need a place. Where are you going to do this? You know, are you going to do it in your bed? Or are you going to do it um, sitting in the living room? Or are you going to do it in that couch in the den? Just where are you going to do it? I have a friend who uh, works at AEP. And uh, He goes to work very early, and he decided that the way this was only going to work for him is every morning when he pulls into that parking garage, usually sometimes around 5 a.m., that before he shuts off his car and goes in to work a full day at the office, he spends 10, 15 minutes reading God's Word and talking to him a little while. Uh, That's his time, and that's his place. If you want to drive over to the AEP garage at 5, you can do that. That can be your place in time too. But if you don't work there, they're probably going to look on you very frown upon that kind of thing. But you need a time, you need a place, and you need a plan. Now there's all sorts of plans. Again, you know, you can do one of those big 90-day, thi- you know, whatever, but probably if if this is new to you, just something simple. I would suggest just again a couple guidelines. I think there's value in reading whole books of the Bible as opposed to every day you jump around to different places i think there i don't mean you sit down at one time and read the whole book but you know i read this far today and then i pick up there tomorrow and and don't go to something else till i've completed that book you know some of those new testament books are pretty short you might want to start with those and then move to bigger ones but i think there's value in just reading consistently you kind of pick up the whole nuance of what's going on A plan I've used most of my life, and it's varied. I'm an old guy, so I've used different plans at different times. But uh, most of the time, the plan I've used is I just read until something grabs me, until something just jumps out at me. And some days that means I read chapters, and other days that means I read verses. Other days I don't read anything at all. But it's my goal, you know, to whatever. So find out the plan that works for you. If seven days a week is too much, aim for five days a week. If, if that's too much, I mean, you know, I don't know what the right amount of time is. or the, I, just know, I, I just know that never is not the right amount. So find a practice, find a habit. Form those things in place and get serious about reading your Bible. If you need a next mental step heavier than that for knowing your Bible... You know, again, Joe talked about these winter spiritual development classes. There are some really good ones in there, and we've had some really good ones up to this point, and there'll be some really good ones in the spring, and maybe you want to take one of those. If you want something heavier, you know, maybe you consider joining onto something like um, uh, BSF, Bible Study Fellowship. You know, they, man, you know, they take you at a much deeper level through something. I would just encourage you, if you get involved in BSF, don't don't replace that as gospel community. Sometimes people say to me, I, sh- I don't need to be in a small group because, because I'm in BSF. And I say, well, BSF's a great place to learn the Bible, and you'll experience some level of community, but that's not really their goal there. You know, so don't pass up the one for the other. But if BSF would, would benefit you, find out something about that. Get, get involved with that. But I know where it starts is building this habit in our life about getting serious about just reading our Bibles. Here's the third thing, last thing, challenge for 2017 is this, that we would just get serious about building our life on the foundation of God's Word. You see, the reason why you need to know the Bible is so that it impacts your thinking. You need to know God's Word so that it impacts the decisions that you make. When you face a situation, you know, is the first question that rattles through your mind, well, what does God have to say about this, see? You know, should I move in with my boyfriend or girlfriend? Well, what does God have to say about this? Should I I get involved in this little Flirtatious banner back and forth with this person that I'm not married to. I mean, it's innocent, and you know, but that, what, what does God have to say about this? You know, should I should I go into business with this guy who really seems great, and we would be great together? But you know, he's not a believer, she's not a believer, and we don't share the same values. And you know what? Well, what what does God have to say about this? See. The reason why we need to know God's word is so that it becomes the foundation of of how we live, of the decisions we make. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And this is your true and proper worship. And do not conform to the patterns of this world, but, listen to this next part, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You see, when when the word of God starts impacting the way you think, the way that you look at things, you're on the right track. See, to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. You know, I think for the most part, Christians don't act or think any different than non-believers. We've had our minds renewed more from television or from the songs we listen to or from our coworkers than we have had it renewed from the Word of God. See, my worldview needs to be radically different the way I look at the world because of the reality of Christ in me and the ongoing work of the Word of God renewing and reworking my mind. Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7. He told this story. I'm sure you've heard it before. He says, therefore, everyone, I'm starting in verse 24, he says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a man, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose up, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it didn't fall because it had its foundation on the rock, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand the rain came the streams rose the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash you see two builders and both of these builders face the same circumstances you know sometimes people think well should, you know, I'm a Christian, why, how, why is this happening to me? No, we live in a broken, fallen world. We face the same difficulties, the same circumstances. There's no promise in God's Word that because you're a Christian, things won't be difficult. It's a fallen, broken world. So both of these builders face the same circumstances, but the difference is what they were building the foundation of their life on. Both of them hear God's Word, but only one of them applies it to their life. And so the question is, when you're taking in God's Word, whether it be in a sermon like this or a spiritual development class or when you're reading God's Word on your own, when you are taking in God's Word, what do you do with it? Oh, you know, that feels nice. I feel so much better. You know, that really inspired me to be a to be a nicer person. Is that what you do with it? Or are you leaning in? Are are you listening to that inner voice of the Holy Spirit? Are you responding to it and making changes in your life, in your attitude, in your behaviors? Are you repenting when you see areas of conflict with the way you're living and the way God says you should live? See, because you want your life to be built on the foundation that lets you go through the storm. Dave Reaver, some of you know who he is. He's a Vietnam veteran who had an atomic grenade go off in his hand in Vietnam and um, did great physical damage. He lived, but great physical damage to it. And as he was laying there in, in, on his cot uh, in, the, in, the, in the army hospital, big, large area. He saw uh, the guy next to him. His wife came in, took one look at the guy next to him and uh, said, you're not the man I married and took off her, her wedding rings right there and left them on his chest, walked away. Um, not very long later... Dave Reaver's wife walked in and he said, honey, I, I know I'm not the man you married." And she said, oh, Dave, you weren't that good looking to start with. Yeah. And I've heard Dave Reaver say it many times. He said it's because they had built their relationship on the front pew of the church instead of the back seat of a car. That their lives individually and their marriage collectively was built on the foundation Of God's Word and so again here we are it's the start of a new year or almost and I just want to challenge all of us again not legalism but I am encouraging all of us to make some determinations not so that God will like you more that's that's not Christianity that's not the gospel that's religion you know, not so that you can motivate God to send good things into your life and keep bad things out of your life. That's not Christianity. That's, that's karma. But so that you can see the direction of your life head in right places, in right ways. And so I want to encourage all of us to get serious about these few things that will impact our spiritual walk with Christ in the direction that hopefully you want to see it move in and so as we're going to sing these next couple of songs even during that time i just want to encourage you you know just in your heart say to god god help me in 2017 be more committed in this area or about this thing talk to god about these things if um if it would benefit you to pray with someone There'll be some prayer team people in the back. You'll have to It's not like a typical Saturday night. You'll have to work past those chairs back there, but you'll find them. They'll be the ones standing back there who would love to pray with you. And let me say this, too, just before I pray and then we worship some more. Um, you know, maybe you're here tonight and, and you're not even sure why you're here. This, Christian, this whole church thing, maybe you don't even go to church normally. You're just here and so forth here. All of these are things to help you grow in your relationship with Christ. But maybe you don't even have a relationship with Christ. Or you're not sure you have a relationship with Christ. See, you can't further that relationship till you start that relationship, till you come to the point of recognizing you're sinful and God is holy and Jesus died in your place if you'll just let him forgive your sins. And maybe you've never done that. Then that's where it starts. So before you take any of these other steps, maybe you just need to talk to Maybe talk to one of these prayer team people or talk to me or talk to someone that you came with and say, hey, I'm not sure that I really even have a relationship with Christ. You know, do that first. But for those of us who have taken that step, who know Jesus is our Savior, here on the cusp of a new year, let's, let's see what God wants to do in our lives, huh? Let me pray for us. Jesus, uh, give us the, the wisdom to understand what you would say to us tonight, each of us individually. Give us the courage to respond to it. Lord, again, I pray that we would not hear legalism. But Lord, what we would hear is um, just the encouragement to move in good directions, Lord. And that doesn't happen accidentally. It happens purposefully. And so guide our hearts to know what you'd have us do. So that 2017 could be a year of advancement and growth and And just seeing you work and use us in mighty ways. And I pray it in your name and for your glory. Amen.